0: Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I am your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, Michael Wifford. Hey,
1: Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, so Now, is that the truth? Because um, you know I don't like it when you lie. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Who are you? Are you Jonathan Burgess, or what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but
0: yeah, so today we are going to be talking about The Sandman, Episode 5, Twenty-four-seven, which the inspiration for this show or, or the show's episode title came directly again from the comics here, where we have two episodes being merged into one again, with the two episodes two being oh yeah, two comic issues being merged into one episode again here, with those two comic titles being twenty-four hours, and then also the sound and fury. So with those two issues there, that covers everything that we see in the episode. Before we dive into what exactly it is that we saw and our thoughts on it, I'm going to give out the typical reminders here. If you want to follow along the show on Instagram, that is at Fantasy Rewind Pod. On Twitter, we're at Fantasy Rewind. And if you want to send us an email, you can do so with FantasyRewindPod at gmail.com. Send us all your thoughts, all your questions, any suggestions you have for episodes, or if you just want to chat fantasy, we're down for it all. All right, so diving into this episode, like twenty-four-seven,
1: The Sandman episode five. What are your overall thoughts here? Uh, so I, this is a very iconic com or er, iconic uh, comic, an iconic scene. I can icon, 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 oh my gosh, this is a very iconic portion of the comics. This is something that, as a reader, when I first read it, was very shocking and very, uh, very graphic. <laughs> and so it's something that I've held on to scenes that I've re- that have really imprinted on me. Um, and so I was very nervous how this is going to be displayed on screen. And I think they killed it. Honestly, I no think pun intended. Yeah, no pun intended. I think they did such a good job with it. They got everything across. There were there were scenes where I literally had to look away for a moment. <laughs> uh, you know, so they definitely did it justice and I think it was done very tastefully in a lot of ways, um, as <laughs> as weird as that sounds, because it is such a mature and just jarring uh, scene. Yes. They did it in a, such a way that, like, the meaning behind it all was really conveyed at the end. What were your thoughts, Dylan? So...
0: I think it's really funny that you said, like, a mature and jarring scene, but it's more of, like, a mature, mature and jarring episode, <laughs> so, like, well, a yeah, scene-long yeah, yeah. episode. Um, sorry, I guess because it's in one setting, yeah, you know? one location, yeah, but so my thoughts are, and I think you share these thoughts with me, is that this was probably my favorite episode of the show so far, and I keep saying that almost with every new episode that comes out, so <laughs> that's a good sign. They're I think. all really good. But yeah, episode five here... 24-7 definitely was um, raising the bar as far as the maturity level that Sandman has covered so far, just the topics being discussed, the actions that we saw on screen there, the the blood and gore, the violence, um, everything that we saw there was taken to a whole new level. I feel like it is suitable for us to just say this now, maybe we should have said this at the beginning, but... The discussion that we're going to be having today about this episode will dive into some more mature and disturbing topics. We're going to try to do this as PG-13 as we can, um, <laughs> but we're still going to talk about like what we did see on screen here and what was discussed. Um, but yeah, yeah, all in all, I thought that it was a very good episode. I thought that the microchasm of the cafe offered some unique perspectives as far as what this ruby can actually do and how Jonathan Burgess manipulated it to fit his own whims. And you see, like, the madness of himself kind of coming out with what he did to the other folks in the cafe there. So, um, all in all, again, I thought the ending, again, was was fantastic. Like we had mentioned in the last episode, this episode almost serves as a mid-season finale of so- of sorts mm-hmm. there, where... At the end, of, by the end of this episode, Dream has reacquired all of his vestments, all of his objects of power, and now Dream is
1: back at full strength. Which and in fact, actually, he's more powerful than he mm. has been in a long time too. So, getting into the
0: actual episode here, Mike, uh, why don't we uh, start talking about what it was yeah. that we actually saw?
1: Right yeah. All right, so we start off here it fades into the storage locker. Sandman is knocked out, him and Matthew are knocked out and Jonathan um has reclaimed his his ruby. I say that with quotations because it's really dreams, but he has made it his own and that's important. Then uh you know, Matthew's trying to wake Sandman up. He isn't awake and then we just it goes right to Jonathan entering the 24 diner, 247 diner he obviously goes in he finds a little spot and he meets bet who is the waitress and she is very frazzled a little frazzled i'd say like and she's going between all these different customers it's only her and the cook and uh yeah this is where things start getting a little wild because as people start entering people leave Jonathan decides, after his conversation with Bette, talking about how honesty is so important and that nobody should have to lie. And wouldn't it be a better world if there was no lying? And Bette's agreeing uh, because Bette is a very nice person. <laughs> and, well, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. So Jonathan shows very her nice the meaning of the words, be careful what you wish for. Yes, he does. And then this is where Jonathan just... Like, again, the theme with him has always been like he starts off kind of being like normal, sort of like. Maybe a little awkward. Level headed. Yeah, a little awkward, but slowly diving into madness. And it, that's very much how this episode goes. At first, everyone's just ordering their meals, you know, having polite conversation here and there. And there's a little tension, a little drama um, with some of the different guests, but. It isn't until John just sees people lying and he's like, this isn't right. And he uses the Ruby to keep everyone there and to make them tell their truths. And so can we just pause for a moment here
0: and say how lucky that first cook was that she left
1: oh yeah to got to get out of there yes
0: and like how bad Uh. i feel for bet how bad i feel for all those other folks that were in there but definitely bet in particular i feel i felt really bad for her watching this episode because you could just see like this was a good person who was being forced into an absolutely terrifying and terrible situation yeah,
1: I mean, they all were forced yeah. into doing terrible and terrifying things. We're not going to get into, like, every single detail and thing happened, but I think it's important to bring up the comics and how it's split yeah, up. Yeah, definitely. Um, so in the comics, it's kind of, um, if I remember correctly, and Dylan will help me out here and just a because he, <laughs> he has my coffee. <laughs> uh, it's split up with, like, every hour being a different, almost like a different theme, I yes, guess. Yes, exactly. And they do different... Different things and it's very much like that In the show too it's like first they're all Getting very frisky with each other If we will <laughs> um, And kind of telling their truths that way Bet finds out that the cook Who she's had a crush yeah. on It does not reciprocate that Crush and in fact has been going after Her um, her son 21 year old son Yes, uh, Important to mention 21 year old yes Yes it is not like Yeah it's nothing anything like that but that is that was very a very shocking thing. I was surprised that they As yeah, was I. they brought that <laughs> onto it. But after that I was like, if they did that, they're gonna do more. Yes. And they did. Uh, what proceeds is a husband and wife splitting up, the wife having intercourse with a younger man, while he, the gentleman, the husband, goes into the kitchen and Has a
0: burger <laughs> and some extra dessert with the cook.
1: Yes, yes. get some Strange with the cook there, and then you have Bet, who after being rebuked by um, by this cook, by the cook, what was his name? Uh, Marsh, Marsh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> by Marsh, <laughs> there is a uh, young actress. Oh my gosh, she's fr- she was in Shameless, and uh, she's she's th- she's there waiting for her girlfriend to call her back or to meet up with her girlfriend, and they don't ha- they don't. I do want to point out this is really important later on. So she, I forget her name too, but she, um, I know her girlfriend's name is yes. Donna. She FaceTimes with a friend. Now that friend's going to be important later on and Donna is going to be important later on as well. So important to, uh, keep those in mind as we go forward too. those characters should pop back up again. So
0: yeah. Um, if we want to talk about like some of the comic stuff here that we're seeing, um one of the biggest things I want to point out here is that on the show we see this microchasm of the ruby happening in the diner. However, in the comics it goes well beyond that. You see the influence yeah. of Jonathan and his diner or er, er, Jonathan and his ruby influencing what's on television and the content mm-hmm. that's being put out there such as a talk show, like a kids talk show host telling kids how to commit suicide. Um, you see like a vast like across the board across the world like chaos erupting with anyone who has like a little mental instability going Mm full-on insane um you have people that are not able to sleep people that are having just like waking nightmares like all kinds of craziness going on within the actual world itself coming back to the diner though You see, like, an entire cycle. I think that was
1: supposed to be... I think that was supposed to be reflected in the world, and I wish they had done just a little bit more of that, either staying on the TV or having some things reported. Yeah. That would have really showed that, because at the end of the episode, when we see Dream in the world, like, it is, like... Stuff happened outside the world, but you never really got any of it. I that, mean, there was the TV um, on, a but I feel like it wasn't to I the know. point that
0: it was in the in the comics here, We're like showing Correct. the the magnitude of what was actually going on here. Mm-hmm. But like in the in the comics here and again on the show, you see like Mike talked about like the cycles of what Jonathan like had going on for these people. He firstly kept them all in the diner. There were multiple points where multiple couples or multiple people were trying to leave the diner. They were basically told, no, you're staying here. They got up, got to the door, paused, turned around, I'm and then were like, back. oh, I'm, I'm here. Hey, Bat, can I have my order? Like, you know, all like normal. So, firstly, in the comics here, uh, Jonathan, like, makes all their dreams come true for themselves, like, in their heads. Um, makes the one kid who was having the job interview, he's dreaming about being the executive director of the company. Um, the one husband is dreaming about a sexual conquest, the wife is dreaming about murdering her husband, <laughs> um, and it doesn't show what um, Bet or the—oh, you know, it does tell what Bat was dreaming about. Bat was dreaming about knocking out Stephen King from the bestsellers list and taking his spot, basically. Mm. Um, and then it just talks about how, like, he goes from switching from that to making people start to fight. Um, like, we have the cook assaulting the young woman there who's waiting for her girlfriend. We have people, like, anointing Jonathan as their god and carrying him around on their shoulders and um, mm-hmm. cutting off body parts to write god on his chest and blood. Uh, we see him then make everybody have a little bit of introspection where he, like, has everybody admit all of, like, their deepest, darkest secrets and everything. Then he has basically, uh, like, a massive orgy happen on in the diner. And then after all of that, he basically has everybody, like, tell him his future. Which I thought was really interesting because you saw, like, the Hectate a little bit flashing here um, in this episode as well. The three in one, the kindly Mm -hmm. ones, as you so eloquently put it in the earlier episode here. And so you have them kind of giving him his future and them telling him that you will defeat Dream, basically. and which he, which he does. It's true. He then, though, Jonathan gets bored, and he then decides to have people stop, you know, playing around a little bit and get a little bit more ultra-violent, to use a little clockwork orange lingo there. Um, so, like, he has people um, nailing themselves through their hands down onto countertops. Which we saw. We have a people... <laughs> Um, we have Gary and the young uh, business guy fight, which we saw, except in the comics, is a little bit of a different turnout where Gary is the victor in this version here, whereas the young man stabbed Gary um, in the show and ended up being the victor of that confrontation there. We have other people um, killing themselves by stabbing a screwdrivers or something through their eyes. We have... Which happens which at the end. Which does happen at the <laughs> end, yes. Uh, we have other things happening, like, on the show here, Bat's lighting a fire, Marsh is going to town on his hand with a knife, um, you know, just chaos and blood and, and everything, violence everywhere. Um, and then you see Jonathan just kind of walking around through all of that, weaving his way in and out, reveling in it, in sorts, like... He's so insane like that he doesn't actually like feel joy really but he does get a little bit of excitement out of that and I feel like that's something that is conveyed a lot more clearly in the comic where like it talks about like oh I had them do this I didn't feel anything uh, so I had them do this I felt a little something tingle and then when he had them be the ultra violent and go after themselves that's when he's like I finally felt excitement. And so he causes all of this chaos within the diner, and then we have Dream come. But before we get to that, was there anything else you wanted to talk about in the diner scene itself, Mike?
1: No, I think you covered it really nicely. I mean, it does, for the most part, the show does really follow the comic in a lot of ways. I mean, it cuts some corners, but I don't think that that really... Was a detriment. No, to and I, it I mean it cuts
0: some corners in some respects, but it also adds some new curves as well. So I thought mm-hmm. like some of the new curves that they added in, and we talked about like Neil Gaiman being involved with the show and like using this almost as like a post edit of the of the comic itself, and it definitely, I feel like this felt more in some ways than the than the comic. Except for like I said, the conveying the larger scale of what Jonathan was able to do
1: um at the end, though, you know, when John's just sort of standing in the wreckage after he's gotten that vision from the three and one, dream shows up, and I thought this was such a really important um, conversation between mm-hmm. them, right? because John says talks about how like you know it it's important like this is kind of what he wanted. he wants everyone to be honest and dream like shows him that the reality john created is a reality without dreams to inspire people to make them better and i think that is so important such a really important message from this is that jonathan was looking for this reality that had no lies and has no dreams really um and that when you strip all this away humanity is terrible and in a way he's right like when you put anyone under a microscope you're gonna just see their flaws
0: especially if you but take the thing... away their dreams and their hope
1: Mm-hmm. and those little lies we tell i mean they're not harming anyone and it makes the world better in a lot of respects you know so like you know being nice to somebody even though you may not feel it or believe it that day like can have a positive impact on somebody else. And Jonathan is stripping all of that away and just showing all of the ugly things. And I think that that it, this was displayed in such a way that it wasn't portrayed in the comics where that, that wasn't like out there as much. Was Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. I
0: mean, I feel like in the comics here, it really wasn't when, uh, when dream showed up, it was more of like, Hey, you want my job? Come and take it. and yeah. it wasn't it was a much more like direct conflict than this philosophical discussion than the conflict. I think another important thing to point out as well is when Jonathan is talking about having a world free of lies, there are layers to that and like you covered there like some of the little white lies people might tell each other are done with good intentions, are done to make people feel better um or but it's also like a situation where if you remove all of the lies after build up after building them all up year after year after year, whatever, like with that married couple, just talking about them for a second, yeah. if they were actually honest with themselves, honest with each other, then it never would have gotten to that boiling point. And like that's a point where when we're talking about just relationships in real life as well, if you let things fester and build, it becomes an explosion. As opposed to like talking about things and dealing with them as they come up and everything. And so for Jonathan to remove all of the lies that he was seeing, it was kind of like just like taking away like their their scaffolding, their security, their things that were their support they had used to like help themselves deal with all the tribulations of life to that point. And it just comes roaring out like a unfettered dam, just like rolling down a
1: canyon. Good points brought up. Jonathan had it wrong. <laughs> uh, but then we, we get the confrontation where, you know, Dream's like, you if you're going to, you know, defeat me, you're going to defeat me in my own mm-hmm. realm. He takes me to the dreaming. Jonathan has some flashbacks from his youth about how his, which we don't know which is true or not, but his mom apparently, like, almost suffocating him in the uh, crib to get him to go to sleep or to stop crying and um you know some other scenes there but right. like were those memories or like, were those nightmares or or was yeah dream time to attack him it wasn't quite you you won't know um i really like this ending uh i know it pretty much almost followed exactly the comics but how dreams holding him at the end and he's so much bigger and he's like i never would have thought of destroying the ruby, I'd poured so much of my power in there, I didn't even realize. And like the ruby was almost like trying to consume, right? Dream and so, like, I just want to flash
0: back here to episode one where Dream was practically doing some that to the Corinthian and like how he did that to Gregory um through like not through the ruby mm-hmm. but through other means where like he was reabsorbing them in and how he like started to reabsorb Corinthian. Um, into the ruby at the first episode before he got captured by uh, by Roderick Burgess here. And also just to bring up the fact that using the ruby's power here, Jonathan was able to overcome Dream. He was able to defeat Dream in a respect. Um, however, the cost of doing so was... The ruby contained almost too much power, it seemed like, and that's where it fractured and then split releasing all of Dream's energy and, and like wiping the slate clean and giving Dream back all of that stored up power. Well, and John crushes it
1: to be fair. Does he
0: actually crush it or
1: does like it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Cause that's what, that's why Dream was like, I would have never thought, thank you, John. I would have never thought about like destroying Mm. it. And like, I, I saw it as like him getting him like, you know, absorbed into the Ruby and then him going, Crunch. gotcha
0: okay see i wasn't sure like if it was like from the ruby just like self imploding or
1: exploding out there yeah i mean it doesn't really either, either way, way the Ruby's you destroyed, you know, yeah it doesn't matter uh and then so and then you have all of a sudden he, john's like i won i won I'm and the then King like, of dreams. he's in dream's <laughs> hand yeah. which is funny because dream was just in his hand technically so uh reversal there he's like are you going to kill me and Dream's like, I don't know. I could. <laughs> and you would you would think that, yeah, I could. And you would think that he would because of all the evil that John had done. Mm-hmm. But in the end, Dream's like, this wasn't your fault, technically. You know, this should have never been in your hands. This corrupted you. This ruined your life, mm-hmm. really. And kind of takes mercy on him, puts him back in his mental hospital, but puts him into, like, seems like pleasant dreams. You know, asleep, that's just pleasant dreams. And then at the end there, we get our first look at desire. Now, I was wondering loved, who that. Love that okay. laugh. Love their laugh. Love their laugh.
0: So yeah, like when I saw when I saw them on screen, I was like, okay. So obviously, you know, when when they said something about brother, I was like, okay. So that's one of Dream's siblings. Which one? I was wondering if you knew which one it was. Because I hadn't looked at the oh, casting yeah. or anything like that yet. So
1: so there is some definite... Um, Desire and Dream have a very interesting relationship. Where Desire really... I want to say doesn't like Dream, but finds it amusing to mess with Dream. Mm. And we're going to see some things that happen with that. And we'll, we'll see Desire again at the end of episode uh, 6.
0: Okay, okay. But yeah, I thought it was a really interesting that dream after all this talk that we've that we've had about him being wrathful, about him not having like pity basically for humanity, he shows a little bit of pity in episode 3 when he uh ends Rachel's life by, you know, letting her go into like a a good dream and like fading out in peace. And then in this episode here, we see some mercy again. Where he doesn't kill Rod, or he doesn't kill uh, Jonathan. I almost called him Roderick. <laughs> um, he doesn't like end him. What he does is he takes pity on him and puts him in the situation that he needs for like better help, basically. Yeah. And again, mirroring the comic oh, in character, or mirroring the comics right there, where uh, Jonathan Burgess ends his like reign of terror. By going back into Arkham Asylum in the comics. Not Arkham on the show, but still a mental institution. Yes. Alright, so overall here, man. We talked about a lot of stuff happening in this episode. um, And how this was our favorite episode here. Um, What do you feel like about the show up to this point here? Because like we said, this is kind of like a mid-season finale. So I think this is an appropriate place to kind of have a little bit of a retrospection on the show and just kind of think about and talk about the direction it's heading, where it's at right now, and, like, just our general thoughts on the Sandman overall right now.
1: Yes. uh, So I would say Faithful Adaptation. With some revisions, and I think they're very tastefully done revisions. I know I've been on some of the groups and stuff looking at people's posting, and some people are really taken to the uh, forums and to the social media to let their displeasure known at some of the gender swapping of characters. And I think that is such a, I'm sorry, a stupid thing to get upset about. When you have other shows that have just taken the... The core of what is the story and thrown it out the window mm-hmm. and made their own thing with the IP. We should be so happy that with Sandman, like, yeah, they've updated, they've changed some of these characters, but it's not, it doesn't, cha- it didn't change the story at all. Right. Like,
0: so as much as I complained about like John Constantine not being in episode four or episode three, and as much as I was kind of like getting after Lucifer a little bit last episode there, I still enjoyed their performances. I thought that it was still a great show. And like I've still this like you said, I'd much rather have a show that was faithful to the adaptation, pretty much like the story beats at least like this one here, and then something that twists and corrupts it to match its own agenda, uh, and its own um, its own whims of the creator of the show. And I think that Sandman is probably one of the best adaptations I've seen in recent history, at
1: least. Oh, yeah, definitely. The show's been great. I I absolutely love it. Um, I am excited to watch it a third time at some point. <laughs> and I know... <laughs> the episode's a third yeah, time. Yeah, I
0: mean, I know I will be watching the entire series again with, uh, with my wife, Amy, here. Um, but that's going to be... Uh, At some point in the future, because we have a vacation coming up.
1: Yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But highly recommend. um, Just know that this is a mature show, just like the graphic novels were for mature audiences. Um, So you may just want to screen it before sharing it with smaller ones, especially this episode. Completely agree. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Very graphic. Very graphic indeed.
0: All right. But... That's all we got for you guys. We hope you're all enjoying Sandman. or hope you're enjoying the episode breakdowns here. Um, but on that note here, this is going to be 2Nerds signing off.
1: See ya. See ya.